0: Today's episode is brought to you by Caviar, an easy way to order meals from the best local restaurants across the U.S. You're tuned in to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service, Full Service.
1: Full Service Radio.
0: Hi there, you're listening to Pineapple Radio on full-service radio, broadcasting from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Atara, and I am the co-founder of Pineapple Collaborative. By now, you probably know who we are if you've been listening. Uh, Pineapple is a community for all women who love food, a.k.a. all women. We produce events across D.C., New York and San Francisco that celebrate a woman's style, identity and values through food. And we also have lots of really fun digital content outside of this radio show, which we broadcast from the line hotel uh, each week. We have a blog series called Pine Fort Pantry where we peek into the kitchens of women we admire. We also have a weekly newsletter uh, that, gives, that gives our readers um, an idea of all of the things that we pine for or admire in the great big world of women and food. And we're also active on social media, so follow us there. We are at Pineapple Collaborative. And so usually each week I'm here with my co-founder, Arielle. Um, she is away this weekend, so it's just going to be me. But typically each week we spend some time talking to each other about all of the things that we pine for, all of the things we've been paying attention to in the world of women in food. So this week I'm going to just kind of have a little monologue <laughs> and do it by myself. Um, one thing that we've really been pining for lately is our partner, Caviar. They are a food delivery platform Um across the country and we work with them in D.C. um, to curate a list of some of our favorite women-powered businesses in D.C. We have a collection with them. If you go to trycaviar.com and look for our logo, you'll see our collection there and it's a great way to invest your dollars and support all the wonderful women-powered businesses here in D.C. So with that, I wanted to tell you all about um, a business that I have been supporting and ordering from a lot lately. It's DC Dosa, uh, which is a business that operates out of Union Market in DC, uh, helmed by Priya Amu. And if for those of you who may not know, dosas are a South Indian crepe made with a fermented batter. And I have been obsessed with their petite yellow lentil dosa filled with seasonal vegetables. It is delicious. And uh, last week, just last week, I went to see A Star is Born with a few friends of mine and we smuggled some DC Dosa (laughs) into the theater and it was amazing. Highly recommend it. Uh, So do yourself a favor, order from Caviar and support women in DC by going to trycaviar.com. So with that, I want to introduce our lovely guest who's sitting here with me in the studio. Her name is Rebecca Pepler. She is the writer behind one of my new favorite books uh, that's out right now. It's all about aperitifs and it's called Aperitifs. Um, Appertif, I'm sorry, and she's based in LA and Paris, and when she's not writing about cocktails, she's writing and styling for so many awesome publications like the New York Times, Bon Appetit, Real Simple, Rachel Ray Magazine, Gather Journal, Food Network, Tasting Table, so many amazing publications and companies. She's written multiple cookbooks, and she loves entertaining with friends all around her favorite beverages. Um, and she's also the author of Honey, which is uh, one of the short stack books. For those of you who are unfamiliar, those are the short format, single ingredient, collectible cookbooks, um, and we're excited to talk with her about that later, too. So welcome, Rebecca. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We are, I was very lucky to spend some time with Rebecca last night at our event with Dory Greenspan. She was a part of the event and popped up and made delicious cocktails. And it was a blast.
1: It was so fun. A nice aperitif hour to like start off an evening. Always I mean, a good idea.
0: That's the best way to start <laughs> off an evening.
1: Um, and what have you been doing in DC so far? I got in last night, came to the event, Went to dinner at Red Hen, which was lovely. It's the best. So lovely. And uh, woke up this morning, and here we are. Yeah. So it was a, it's a quick, a quick trip. I'm off to New Orleans tonight. Uh, I have an event there for uh, the book on Monday.
0: So. Amazing. We're so lucky that Rebecca started her tour off with Pineapple. We feel very honored. <laughs> um, and you stayed here at the Line Hotel, right? I did. It was absolutely lovely. Shout out to all of our friends here at the Lion and if you haven't made it yet and live in DC you you just have to come it's, and get some coffee and just experience the magic.
1: Yeah, I mean staying in the room was wonderful, obviously. I wish I could stay longer, but the the public space is beautiful.
0: It's amazing. It's the local DC watering Mm -hmm. watering hole, as we call it. Um, Great. So we're going to go ahead and dive right into our interview. And then at the end, we have a little surprise for our listeners. (laughs) Uh, So with that, for our first question, Rebecca, can you please tell us a little bit about you? How did you grow up around food and what got you interested in food and drink?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in a small town called Oshkosh, Wisconsin, um, and I grew up around food but not, um, not really cocktails, I guess. Uh, and the food was very simple, like cheese, and what, what you would think of Wisconsin is what I grew up on, which I am not saying is a bad thing. It's delicious and I still, still crave it at times. Um, but I went to university in Wisconsin and then I moved to New York to go to pastry school. And I had studied journalism in college, and I knew I wanted to write about food. And so that was the impetus behind going to pastry school. Um, It was also a really great excuse to move to New York City, uh, where I lived for nearly 10 years before branching out again to L.A. and Paris. Awesome. And what was your life like in New York? Lovely. Lovely. I mean, some... My closest, closest friends are still there, so I was, I was there last week, and um, it's, it's a really easy place to fall back into old, lovely habits. Yes. Um, my yoga studio is there, so I go. Um, but yeah, it's a, it was time to move on, um, and that's kind of how I decided to move to Paris. I um, was working and living in New York and loved it, but was feeling a little trapped and knew I didn't want to live there forever. So I decided to split time, um, because as a freelancer, that's a luxury that not everyone can have. And I feel very fortunate to have it, but I can write from anywhere. So I made a little, um, a little list and it was between LA and Paris and went to Paris and just, you know, fell in love and, and here I am three, like three years later. Wow. Yeah.
0: And I, I spent a bit of time in New York. I mm-hmm. went to photo and design school there um, and also felt kind of the itch to move on eventually. Yeah. Um, so what specifically inspired you to say, OK, like the chapter, the New York chapter of my life is closed and I want to explore something new?
1: Yeah, I think it was a gradual, um, gradual feeling that just kept building until I couldn't ignore it anymore. I have always traveled quite a bit and I was finding myself leaving as much as possible. Um, and when you spend that much money on rent, it, uh, you should probably like where you live. So, um, but I knew I didn't want to leave fully. It took a, it took a few years for me to actually like give up the apartment and stop going back all the time. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was time. It was a, it was an internal thing. And, you know, I was also, like I said, um, freelance, single, capable of kind of picking up my life and moving. And it was a it was a good time to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And do you still split your time between
0: LA and Paris or is it mainly Paris at this time? It is now fully Paris. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what a beautiful life. What a, yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> um So you've been in Paris for a number of years now. What have you learned about Paris food, Parisian food and drink culture, and how's that impacted your perspective?
1: Yeah. Well, um, when I first got there, I started learning what aperitif actually is uh, because I was getting invited out by friends and new friends and and friends who would eventually become friends. Um, And I realized that we have cocktail hour, happy hour here in the States, but it's just slightly different. And... um, and then I did a little market research, as, as every writer does when they discover something they didn't know a ton about, and I realized that no one had really written about it in a, in a decade. So um, that's when I kind of had the idea to write this book. Um, but I learned along the way, so that was kind of the fun of it. Is the, the front of it is kind of history of aperitif. Um, aperitif is a bunch of different things. It's uh, both the bottles and also the drinks, as well as the hour of time, and... So I I did a bunch of research on it and then started making the cocktails that eventually some of them made it into the book of others were left, left out for many reasons. Um, and yeah.
0: Awesome. So taking a step back, can you, uh, define a few words for us, Mm -hmm. uh, for those of us who might be a little bit, you know, just unaware of what aperitif is, what is it exactly? What are all the different definitions and the kind of
1: history and culture around it? So aperitif is um, is a cultural moment in time. Um, in France, it's, you know, after work, before dinner. It opens the evening and kind of ends the work day. And um, it's also the bottles. So there's different types of aperitif bottles. Suze, Lillet, Vermouth. There's They're all kind of listed in there. Beer, um, B-Y-R-R-H, not B-E-E-R, <laughs> which can also be considered taken as aperitif but it's not actually a bottle of aperitif so it gets complicated okay and then the final is the actual drink itself so if you have like a suze on the rocks with a twist that is an aperitif the bottle of the aperitif is aperitif and then the time that you're doing it is also aperitif it's really right. uh encompasses a lot in one one little word
0: it's more of a, a lifestyle right and I like what you said about the difference in your mind between aperitif and happy hour. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about
1: that? Yeah, totally. I mean, as as you may well know, happy hour uh, is usually something we think of when we're just like, okay, work's over. I'm mean, gonna have a couple strong drinks at half price with you know coworkers or friends or whatnot. And aperitif is more like work is over, the evening is starting. Let's open it in a really lovely way. So the drinks are usually low alcohol by volume. There's um, In the book itself, there's no hard alcohol, and that was a conscious decision. And honestly, in in classic aperitif world, that also was true. Now cocktails have made it into France and made it into the kind of culture. But people are still taking lower alcohol by volume aperitifs um, more often than not, just to start the evening. Then you can move on to... To the harder stuff.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's great, and I think also in our minds, like, when we think about happy hour, we think about, like, meeting work friends Mm -hmm. at a bar, Mm -hmm. and, you know, to your point, like, hard liquor with, like, orange juice or something. Exactly. Um, But it seems like this is more about entertaining, about uh, creating recipes, snacks, and creating a warm atmosphere for your guests, right?
1: Absolutely. So, it, it has the kind of same timeline as what happy hour has but and you can take it at a bar or a restaurant or out on terrace but um, but people take aperitif at home they invite friends over or they just have a drink either by themselves or with their partner um, and then move on to the rest of their evening so it's like this lovely little magical pause in the day that you you take to reset and it's it's really special because I think we as Americans kind of run from one thing to the next thing and in France they're just like well let's just sit. Have a drink. It can go on for long or it can, you know, it can be a 20 minute aperitif and you move on to your next thing, but it's a really nice way to just take a, take a breath and also have a little alcohol alongside Mm -hmm. with a little snack. So.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the first time I learned about aperitifs and digestifs was when I was traveling in Italy Mm -hmm. and it reminded me both those two experiences and also like the whole menu of, you know, the uh, appetizer, the pasta, the meat, the dessert the digestive it's almost like a uh like a, a program like you're yeah. sitting down for a full experience and really uh there's this feeling of trying to be present throughout that
1: yeah it's very ritualistic and i i love that about it you know it's not it's not sitting down in front of the tv with a tv dinner it's like very yes i mean we do that sometimes too yeah yeah but um but yeah and it's it's engaging with other people throughout the entire evening and the aperitif hour is the time to kind of start that to end your work day and stop thinking about work i can't tell you how many times i've kind of been on my phone and my french friends are like no this is it's not what this do. is not work time now yeah. and i'm like but but the new york is still up and they're still <laughs> emailing me um, but i've i've taken taken a little, uh, inspiration from them and try to set aside my phone for, for an hour and just sit and enjoy. And like the emails will be there when I come back.
0: Right. I think that is something that really every person, uh, could, you know, take in and, and infuse into their life in some way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so throughout your research, I love how, you know, the beginning of the book is really about history, culture, Mm -hmm. the origins of the aperitifs. Um, Did you learn at all about like when this
1: ritual started in French history and how that came about? That's such a good question. And no, I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I tried to, but it's uh, really amorphous. Um, The histories of the bottles themselves I was able to really delve into the to the um details of that and and I go into to quite a bit of detail on each one of those I describe the book as a mullet so it's business in the front party in the back (laughs) um and I hope I brought a little party to the front I think they're like you know engaging and entertaining and not too textbook like um but the actual like invention of aperitif it may have started in Italy there's some Confusion on that. <laughs> okay. um, I will not make a claim either way. Uh, some of the research has pointed me a little closer to Italy, but I live in France, so I'm just going to let <laughs> let that lie. Yeah. Um, but it's been happening for a long time, and I think that there is something really interesting happening now that um, kind of moves it into what what modern France is like and what our modern world is like. So we're, you know, the cocktails that are included in the book. Traditionally, you wouldn't have a cocktail. It would be mm-hmm. just the spirit right um or the the aperitif and now um these cocktails are simple they're you know 3 to 5 cocked 3 to 5 ingredients but um but they're a little more complex and interesting and modern mm-hmm. um and that's something that was not being done when when you know these were starting to be made in the you know 1889 to you know early 1900s.
0: Right. Well, I definitely want to unpack that in just a little bit because yeah. I think that the recipes are really special in here. Thank you. Um, but before we move on to that, you know, just digging back into this history question, I loved like reading about like the history of like sherry <laughs> for Thank example. You. Yes. Um, so in your research, what was the most like fascinating thing you learned about the origins of some of these drinks?
1: That's such a good question. Um, so in the research, I did a bunch of road trips all across France, which was pleasant, to That's say the amazing. least. Yeah, the biggest one was a 10-day solo trip from um, Marseille, where the pasties has kind of started, and then all the way down to the border of Spain and France. And I think there's a lot of like specific things I could say, but I think the most interesting thing for me, especially on that trip was seeing how aperitifs were taken differently in different areas. So it's very specific to time and place. Um, so pastis in Marseille is just like... Pastis anywhere, I feel, is a very magical experience. I love pastis. But when you're there in the sun and the water and the place that's just so rooted in its history, it takes on this really special moment. And I think trying to bottle that up and include it in, in the book and in the cocktails was something that was really important to me. Awesome.
0: And for those of us who may not know, including myself, what what is pastis? What's like the flavor and what do you usually combine it with yeah. to make a
1: drink? So pastis is, was kind of born out of the absinthe era when absinthe was, uh, deemed illegal then pastis rose out of it so it still has an anise fennel flavor to it Um Yum. and it's it's really interesting because it's that it's the, it's the spirit that changes to cloudy when you add water Um so it's got all of this like scientific magic that I delved I delved deeply into when I was researching the book and then my editor was like I don't think we need to include <laughs> everything about hole and all the <laughs> molecules. I'm like, but it's so interesting. So it's highly like recommend like delving Yes, it is. So cool. It's very Harry Potter esque. Awesome. Um but it's yeah, it's uh the drink is, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't like licorice drinks, I don't like anise. And I can agree with that to a point. I think that searching out um higher quality pastis or ones that are made by smaller producers are just more interesting and they add more complexity. So I wouldn't rule it out just because you had like, you know, a cheap pastis at a bar one time. For um, sure.
0: And go, those are probably the ones that are like really unbalanced and yeah, bitter. Sharp. And just, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. And really like, um, they like ruin your tongue for everything else. Right, um, right. But the great thing about pastis also is you dilute it. So you never would drink it straight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's usually like a five to one dilution. Some people do two to three and they call that yogurt in France because it's <laughs> It's, it's thick cloudy, and, and yeah. cloudy and white. Um, but that that's a little too strong for me. So I dilute it quite a bit. And then, you know, the sun continues to dilute it if you add ice to it. Mm-hmm. So it's a drink that can be very strong, but can also be like quite weak is a bad word. But subtle, um, subtle and changes throughout the time while you drink it and can last a whole afternoon. Awesome. I want some of that. To. It's yeah.
0: it's noon in D.C., by the way. And we're I'm really. Yeah. Getting an appetite for Mm -hmm. some aperitifs. Um, Okay, great. We're going to take a quick break. We're sitting with Rebecca Pepler, the author of Apertif, and we're talking all about aperitifs. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Pineapple Radio. I'm your host, Atara. We are in the studio with Rebecca Pepler. She's the author of beloved, a beloved book of mine, Apertif. It's all about Apertifs. Um, and we're discussing the culture, the origins, the lifestyle around beverages and um, getting together with friends around them. So we just spent a little bit of time talking about the history and the origins of aperitifs. Um, my question for you now, Rebecca, is specifically about the recipes. Mm-hmm. What I find so special about this book is that the, the recipes are essentially like three or four ingredients and you really make the ingredients shine. Um, so talk about the intentionality behind that.
1: Yeah, so aperitifs are usually pretty complex already, the bottles themselves. Um, There's a lot of botanicals that happen. It's a lot of fortified wines. And so adding too much, you lose that complexity that's already very inherent in the the aperitifs themselves. So also, on kind of a separate related note, um, I don't want to be making complicated cocktails at home if I want that I'll go out to a bar and have somebody do that for me and they can make all their tinctures I just want to have a few select things that I can just pour into a glass and have it taste really interesting and complex without actually having to do a lot of work um so yeah the idea behind that was like three to five ingredients per cocktail make it really simple make it for home bartenders who are really interested perhaps in these spirits but um you don't necessarily have to have a lot of Knowledge for to sure. start and start mixing
0: I love that, and it makes yeah. it so easy and ripe for entertaining because you don't have to be like stuck in the kitchen the whole time
1: exactly yeah I don't want to be making complex cocktails for my for my friends all the time I just want to, I want to pour two ingredients in a glass and hand it to them and have them think it tastes amazing and then enjoy the conversation with them
0: yeah, yeah, that's awesome, and I think the best way to uh, kind of Create recipes like that is to use the best ingredients mm-hmm. from the best producers, uh, that you know, where you can really taste the terroir and the local origins of that product.
1: Definitely, I talk about that a little bit. I mean, the, the aperitifs themselves are all, um, all really special and specific and wonderful, but also tonic water is really important to get dry tonic because in the states we have very, very sweet tonic water, yeah, like um, the Schweppes. Yeah, tonic water. yeah. Well, Schweppes in the in Europe is dry and wonderful, and I use it all the time. But when I come here, I have to switch over. Like I, I use Fever Tree or Q Tonic are kind of my go tos. But I'm always trying, you know, a local tonic. Or you know, people are texting me and being like, "Oh, I saw this on the shelf. Like, you have you tried this one yet?" So, um, I also include a tonic. Uh, syrup in the book, because if you can't find quality tonic, you should should still be able to make these recipes.
0: Yeah. What is tonic exactly?
1: So tonic is um, kind of like a bitter and sweet carbonated beverage. Um, it's bittered by quinine, which is um, kinkina bark. And uh, it's like a very old bittering agent that's actually used in a ton of aperitif. So it works really well with them. Um, and it was originally formatted to combat Malaria,
0: cool. Yeah, and um, in addition to the tonic recipe that you have in the book, could could you theoretically just like get bitters and put them with cart with like seltzer, or is that not quite the same?
1: It's not going to be tonic, but bitters and seltzer is one of my favorite drinks when I'm not drinking. So okay. please do that. Just uh, don't expect it to taste like tonic water.
0: Good to know. And actually, on that subject, I had a question for you. Um, there, there are a lot of people in my family that don't drink, mm-hmm. and I think also just. Taking stock of the wellness world right now, a lot of people are scaling back on their alcohol consumption. Do mm-hmm. you have any favorite like mocktail recipes?
1: None in the book, um, although all low alcohol by volume. So if you're scaling back and still drinking, these are really good cocktails for you um, because they're not going to get you completely toasted after one. Right. Um, for non-alcoholic drinks, I think I just it's it's still all about using quality ingredients. So you can you know, get a really nice sparkling water and add good bitters and some citrus peel and like actually put it in a beautiful glass with good ice and serve it. Like don't make it into a here's a bottle of water because you're not drinking. Right. I think that's the that's the biggest key for me when I'm entertaining is everyone should be it's an inclusive environment. So if you're not drinking, who cares? But like give them something delicious to drink.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that the presentation and the ritual, mm-hmm. uh, it matters.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, aperitif is, it, it is about having an alcoholic beverage, right? But the, um, the communal experience is just as important. So if you're not drinking, you can still partake in aperitif and should. Like it's, a, it's the end of your day, the start of your evening. You don't have to have an alcoholic beverage. But like a little like something special and a snack is really the point of it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I love
0: that. Uh, so more about this idea of the communal experience in DC, I don't want to speak for everyone in our community, but a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of pineapple women on DC will go, in DC will go to the farmer's market in the morning and spend their day cooking with loved ones, batch cooking for the week. It's like a, a very uh, kind of universal experience mm-hmm. here in DC. Um, so what are some Sunday traditions that you've loved in Paris? Oh,
1: Sundays are my favorite in Paris. Uh, It's a market culture for sure. So the Sunday markets are are big and beautiful and everybody's kind of out. And they they close by like one or two. So it's a real morning ritual. And then you go home and you cook. And um, I wouldn't say that the French are batch cooking for the week as much as they are cooking a large Sunday dinner for for family and friends. Um, At least, I guess I can just speak for myself. I have Sunday suppers as many Sundays as I can and I just invite good friends over we start with a pair of tea hour there's usually like a a roast chicken or a pasta or something homey and very communal to eat on the table um and you watch the sunset over the city and then and then call it a night early that's that's my literally my dream life and I get to do it every week when I'm in Paris so
0: that sounds like magic, yes, truly. And what a beautiful way to kick off the week when there's Sunday scaries happening, potentially. Exactly, exactly. That's awesome. Um, and then a question for you about uh, specifically like the types of drinks that are in here. There's so much hype right now ab- around uh, the terroir and the specialness of like beer, wine, mm-hmm. uh, et cetera. What do you think makes Apertif so special, though, in that
1: uh, genre? well uh beer and wine and champagne are all included in imperative culture so um we can we can uh, kind of lump them all together um and i i partake in in beer wine and champagne often as an imperative uh, i also include them in some of the recipes so there's like a rosé sour which uh, was just born out of the fact that we had extra rosé left in the bottle from the night before um and wanted wanted apéritif, so we just uh Shook it up and uh, made it into kind of like a sour drink. That and sounds so good. It's great, yeah, ah, yeah. What a it's, great idea. Thank you. Um, but yeah, there's um, in France, there's a lot of emphasis happening right now on um, natural wine as well. Um, beer is Paris is getting a lot of different breweries that are really like kind of exploding right now, and it's really interesting to watch that craft scene grow. And I think that's the the modern aperitif, right? Is like wine has always been a part of the aperitif but now there's like so many different ways that you can go with it in France especially I mean the wine is just so good yeah yeah I mean I'm very very lucky and very spoiled when I come to the States it's um it's hard to move away from French wine and I know I have to because we do <laughs> amazing wines here but it's uh yeah, you get spoiled. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, there's some good California wine happening these days, so at least there's that. I will be out there in a
1: <laughs> few short weeks. So. Beautiful. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so we're going to end with a kind of heady question, and I think it can take us in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of us have observed that bartending culture is pretty, let's call it, like, bro-forward. <laughs> um, it's a, a, a pretty, like, macho space, I think. Um, so... And just for context for our listeners, last night, Rebecca and I were at um, our event with Dory mm-hmm. and there was a woman who we were talking to who asked Rebecca if she was a bartender and she <laughs> said, uh, no, definitely not. So I want to talk a little bit about like the kind of perceptions of bartending um, and uh, how to make that whole culture more inclusive and safe for women.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, yes. So um, before I wrote about cocktails, um, or this is kind of an and, I still do this, um, I wrote about food. And I went to pastry school and everyone asked, like, oh, you're a pastry chef, you're a chef. And every time I had to be like, no, guys, no, no, no. I have a lot of respect for the people that are actually able to call themselves chefs. And I feel the same way about bartenders. Um, Without gender included in that. And the reason that I wrote this book was specifically for home bartenders, if you will, or people that are making cocktails at home. And also when you think about, um, I agree the, the bar bar space is still male dominated. And I think that there are some incredible women that are doing really powerful things, um, to, to bring inclusivity and, um, and a lot of creativity into the bar scene. But even when I still walk into a bar, it's, um, it's definitely very, very bro-y, um, depending on the space and, uh, and often not very queer, which, uh, which I look for often as well. And, um, I think that's one of the reasons that taking a paratif at home is, is something that I look forward to is because you can, create an inclusive space you you know you invite the people that you want to be surrounded with and you can make it into if you're if you want to have a women-only space that's a possible thing and when you're out in a public space that's just not um, feasible so yeah it's a it's kind of a a downer point but taking imperative at home is is safer and uh and less likely to bring you into conflict
0: yeah right And I think it is a a pretty vulnerable space for Mm -hmm. women, marginalized people in general, especially queer women, women of color is like, Being in a a dark, (laughs) ill-lit space, (laughs) surrounded by alcohol, surrounded by alcohol, Um, and there there are really wonderful initiatives taking place now that everyone should know about. Mm -hmm. That are trying to make bars safer for women, Mm -hmm. for women who work in bars. There's Safe Bars DC. uh, There's Women in Hospitality United, uh, which is yeah helmed by our friend Aaron uh, Fairbanks. But yeah, a lot of really great things happening to make sure that these spaces are safer
1: definitely and in france as well so um the me too movement has a french equivalent which is um balance ton porc, which is uh expose your pig um and it's, it's a fun one um but there is a sexual harassment law that was just passed and the first um fine was just uh, delivered out so there's it's happening in france as well and it's it's really interesting i, I mean i live in Paris and uh paris is pretty accepting and open although as a queer woman wandering around there's a you know there's still harassment that happens verbally and physically that um you can't predict yeah and it's when you walk into a bar it's a even scarier thing because inhibitions are lowered there's alcohol it's dark as you said and um and i think that it's kind of Women are taking it on ourselves to make it a, a safer space, and I'm very grateful for the women that are doing that um, and, and making it a priority because it's, it needs to be one.
0: Great, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing about that. It's so important to think about how to make spaces safer for all of us. Um, and on that note, I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you approach, approached representation and inclusivity in your book.
1: Yeah, that was a huge, um, that was on my mind before I even started writing cocktail recipes for it um, or doing research on the aperitifs. I worked with an all-woman team, which was incredible. My photographer, Joanne Pye, just the most amazing photographer in the world, but also a lovely, lovely woman. Um, and then we had we had two assistants, Lise and Lena, who are both just such powerhouses of their own. And they, they, we schlepped things all over Paris, bottles and bottles and bottles, and uh, ourselves. And they posed in the photos. And we had um, I took a really direct approach to the to the images themselves that were included in the book. Um, I made a conscious decision not to include cis straight white men, um, as we were talking about earlier. You know, bro culture has kind of taken over the drink space. And I think that it was really important for me to represent my viewpoint of the world in the book itself. And so um, when we were asking friends and models to come out and hold the cocktails, I was really careful on who was there and how we could create a really fun dynamic environment because all of the photos, you know, it's, a, it's drinking, it's a part culture. It's fun. It's engaged. But, um, but that doesn't mean that there can't be a little bit, um, of a conversation about gender and equality and, um, safe spaces. So I was really careful on that and kind of towed a, a pretty thin line that I I'm really, really happy with.
0: I really love that. And Thank I you. think that really like the, uh, kind of universal takeaway, that I had from this book is accessibility mm-hmm. that you don't have to go to a bar and spend $13 on a cocktail. No. You can, you know, invest in like a woman owned, uh, company and a woman owned, uh, uh you know, aperitif bottle mm-hmm. and add it with like two other ingredients and have a party with exactly. your friends. And I think that's a really beautiful idea.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the aperitifs are pretty, um, affordable which is great because the bottle lasts a longer time because you're mixing it with things or you're only serving a little bit so it's it's definitely much nicer on your wallet and I don't know I'm an introvert so I guess maybe I'm not speaking for everyone but having people in my space and creating a really lovely environment for people to just enjoy and relax and you know again end their day is just it's it's a really special thing to be able to do and it doesn't have to cost a ton of money or uh you don't have to do a ton to make it happen you know there's snacks in the books and snacks come along with drinks when you're taking a aperitif but the snacks can be olives or a little like charcuterie or you know something very simple that you don't have to prepare you can make the recipes in the book or you can just buy some things bag of potato chips and that is your aperitif
0: oh i love that that is the the spirit that I live by. Um, so, with that, a little special segment now. <laughs> Rebecca is going to make me a cocktail, <laughs> which I'm very excited about, and we're going to pair it with uh, some of her favorite snacks. Um, and she'll show us how to, how easy
1: having apertif hour can be. Yeah. So, um, I'm just going to make the light tonic, which is so simple. Um, we got. Good tonic water. A bottle of Lillet Blanc. Lillet comes in three styles. So in the book, I have actually a Lillet Rouge and Tonic, which is perfect for fall weather. Um, but Blanc is the, it's the original. It's like, it's a fortified wine. It's infused with Kinkina bark, which is the quinine that's also in the um, tonic water. There's orange. There's a lot of other things that they won't tell are in it because it's a oh, secret it's family. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um but it's lovely, and it's a little sweet, so it's a it's a nice, refreshing daytime aperitif. Because, Perfect. as you mentioned, it is not yeah. quite one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: not quite one. Exactly. Um, so. so can you also have a lilay, since it's a fortified wine, as like a digestif, like just on its own?
1: Absolutely. Or, okay. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's a, It's one of my favorite things. So uh, because it's a fortified wine, all you really need to do is add it to an uh, ice cube and a little citrus twist. I like... Lemon with blanc, grapefruit with rouge, and lime with lillet rosé. But do what you wish. Awesome. Um, you can top it with soda if you don't want to have the extra um, sweetness from the tonic water. It's you know it's a really it's a it's a lovely aperitif, and uh, it's made outside of Bordeaux. Um, and I got to visit them, and their team is it's part of Pernod Ricard, so it's a it's part of a large liquor company, mm-hmm. but their team is so small. They're so nice. And so, um, welcoming. I went and we had like, we had Lillet Rosé and tonic and I toured the facility and we, we had a little lunch together and it was, you know, two out of the six people that were working there. So it was just, um, a lovely, very aperitif moment experience within a, within a larger context.
0: Absolutely. So. And I, uh, I just took a little smell of the Lillet on its own. And it smells like perfume, like truly. Yeah. It is so beautiful. Dab I could, a little on your
1: wrist. I would. <laughs> I really
0: would. Um, so I'm excited about that. And as Rebecca is pouring the tonic water, um, Rebecca, can you tell us about what snacks we're pairing with this Lillet uh, cocktail?
1: Yeah. So you got my favorite olives, which are Castle Ventrano olives. Um, I actually include them in one of the recipes in the book, which it's a vermouth um, vermouth and soda. Um, and then a little charcuterie and some local cheese, I think.
0: Yes. This is a cheese from Pennsylvania. It's a a cow's milk, uh, rennet free herb cheese, which I'm excited to try. Um, and then this is a little hard salami, uh, from the corner store right around the corner from my apartment.
1: Perfect. And yeah, that's how easy it can be. That's how easy it can be. And, um, you know, so cheese in France is not typically an aperitif thing. It's an after dinner, um, before dessert Mm -hmm. course. But I skip that all the time. Yeah, like start you're from che- Wisconsin. I'm from Wisconsin. I need my <laughs> cheese at all times. Um, it can start and end a meal, which is like yeah. my favorite thing because cocktails can it's do the multi-purpose. same thing. Um, cool. But yeah, it's it's great. Thank you for getting this. All right. Cheers. Chaiim. Cheers.
0: It's so delicious. It's so balanced. Mm. It's easy to drink. I imagine like drinking this on a summer afternoon. Yes. On, like a picnic.
1: Exactly. Um, it is really refreshing. It is, it is. And it's um, it's a little sweet and still um, bitter. So it's still like you want to have like a little bite of food. You mm-hmm. want to like, you know, relax and lay out on a picnic blanket and read a book. It's yeah. like a very, it's a very summer, um, summer drink. I love it very Absolutely.
0: much. Absolutely. And I just had a bite of the Castelvetrano olives, which are the bright green kind of hard, uh, they're kind of floral and bitter at the same mm-hmm. time. And it actually brings, complements this cocktail
1: beautifully. You know what's funny is uh, Lillet when it started was a lot more bitter. The quinine content was like way up there and then with Modern Taste they like upped the um, lowered and that content and up the sugar content because our palates are sweeter now but it started out as uh, Kina Lillet which is quinine in French and it was uh, James Bond's martini. Oh. Kina Lillet was actually the the bitterness in there so oh, cool so it's funny that you picked up on that but
0: it's delicious mm-hmm. um and for for those who may have an issue finding Lillet, what could you replace this cocktail with
1: oh man you could you could pretty much put anything in here yeah, um, yeah 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 especially with tonic i mean you could do you could even do a sherry a vermouth i mean vermouth and tonic is still one of my favorite things also fortified wine vermouth is going to be slightly different um but but still delicious. Could you so. do like a port with it? You could. I have not tried that, but no. that sounds delicious. Why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. Let me know how it is.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Well, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, great. So Rebecca and I are going to munch on some snacks mm-hmm. while we do that. Before we close out, I have a quick spitfire round for you. Oh, no. Now, listeners, keep in mind, Rebecca has not seen these questions. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Um, But yeah, so for our first question, Rebecca, can you please tell us a woman in food you pine for? Oh, Oh, I know there are many.
1: (laughs) There's so many. It's so hard. Um, You know, Dori Greenspan, who we were just with last night, uh, she has been such a wonderful mentor to me as well. So when I when I decided I was going to I didn't even decide when I was thinking of moving to France, I we, took, we went out and had a pair of teeth together in New York, and I asked her if I should, and she was the first person that just, like, kind of was like, yes, just pushed me out the door, and has been such a support ever since. I've worked with her both in New York and France, and um, she also lives in Paris some of the time, so it's really lovely to see her when, when we're both there, but yeah i I pine for her when she's when she 's not around she 's just an incredible human
0: yeah mm-hmm. she is i I really loved seeing how humble she is for mm-hmm. how accomplished she is like that always really impresses me in yeah. any person
1: truly truly um,
0: beautiful all right your all time favorite woman made food product it can also be a drink product
1: um woman owned food product uh New York shookke is one of my favorites, and i don 't get to have it in France, so whenever i 'm in the states, I like pick one up and it 's actually um it turns out it works really well as a spread on a paratif plate. So oh. if you're uh, if you have a little cheese and some olives and some snacks and like crackers or bread, like you just do a little smear and make a little sandwich, and it's perfect.
0: Oh, I love that idea. I love their uh, dried herby uh, harissa. Oh my it's gosh! So good. Yes. Um, okay, your go-to fridge and pantry item. So two items.
1: Fridge and pantry item. Okay. Well, fridge. I always have a bottle of vermouth. Um, it's easy to make an aperitif happen. It's easy to just, um, just drink on the rocks with a twist and I drink it both to start and end an evening. So it's just always there. And it's always nice to know that I have something cold and ready to go. Um, and then food pantry item. I, if you've known me for, for a while, you know that I love poppy seeds and it's like the weirdest pantry item, but it's, in every single pantry I've ever had. Like I just, wow. I add them to anything. They have such a, I mean, you have to restock them, right? Because they can go rancid and you have to be very careful. But um, they, when they're fresh, they have just such this amazing flavor. And so I add them to banana bread, pancakes, like, um, like making a yogurt dip and making it into a savory something. Like just add poppy seeds to it. I love <laughs> them so much. I, I like, love that yeah. you love them. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird pantry. You heard it here first, everybody. Rebecca Pepler
0: loves poppy seeds, and that's awesome. Um, Okay, your favorite cocktail. I know this is like choosing a favorite child or something. but It
1: is. Oh, my gosh, my favorite cocktail. Um, Right now, I'm really loving, there's a Sherry Negroni in the book, and um, that one was really fun to write because I wanted something that had a, a stronger flavor profile. I love Negroni's and Boulevardier's, but I didn't want to include any hard alcohol. So adding Sherry Fortified Wine, so many different, I mean, sherry is just so interesting because there's just so many different types of Sherry that you can, you can play around with and um, producers that are making it. But the Sherry Negroni kind of taps into that feeling when you want a stronger drink, but you don't actually want to drink a ton of alcohol. And uh, yeah, I think that's my favorite right now, but Don't tell the rest.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Amazing. I love Sherry as well. So that's great. Um, And for our last question, where can our audience find you and your book?
1: You can find me online uh, at Rebecca Pepler on Instagram. It's uh, it's spelled R-E-B-E-K-A-H-P-E-P-P-L-E-R. And um, the book is available everywhere books are sold. So strongly encourage you to go to your local independent bookstore. It's also on Amazon if you can't make it there. And, uh, and yeah, pretty much, pretty much anywhere at this moment. So that makes me very, very happy, even if you're
0: in France. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. I urge you to go and get this book. It's amazing for, you know, if you're someone like me who gets very flummoxed by, uh, cocktail menus and wants to learn more about the producers and the origins of all of our beautiful beverages, you must get this book. It is so beautiful. Uh, Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, this is Pineapple Radio. I'm Atara. You can find Pineapple um, on Instagram at Pineapple Collaborative and online at pineapplecollaborative.com. If you like this show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love getting reviews from you. And if you leave us a nice review, we will share it on the air. Um, and we can't wait to see you guys next time.